Let's just bow before the Lord. Let's quieten our hearts. And let's hear what the Spirit has to say to us this morning. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we come to the moment in our worship of You where we open Your Word to us, Your living, Your inspired Word. And Lord, we pray, may Your Spirit make it alive in us, every single one of us. Lord, whether we know You this morning or not, Lord, do Your work in us. Where there is no life, bring life, I pray. And where there is life, Lord, strengthen it and perfect it so that we can be like your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. We continue in our studies in the book of Luke this morning and we're in chapter 10. And so I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10 and verses 1 to 16. Luke chapter 10, verse 1 to 16. Previously, we saw where the Lord sent out the twelve and the twelve went out and they came back bubbling over with excitement because of what they'd seen and what they'd experienced. And now Jesus widens that labour force, and he sends out 70 or 72, some would say. We're not going to get into that debate this morning. He sends out the 70 and he gives them a mandate as well. And let's hear what God says, what Jesus says to them. Luke chapter 10 verse 1. After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the labourer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin, Woe to you, Bethsaida, for, in the, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. 
And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. While I was recently away in South Africa, um, going to see my mum and dad, um, I managed to read a book by a humanitarian adventurer called Kingsley Holgate. Now, he's quite a, quite a, a man. He, um, he's done several trips around Africa, and the latest one he did was around the rim of Africa, and that took him 449 days. And he managed to do that with three Land Rovers and two boats, and quite a few tons of gear. The aim of the expedition was to take mosquito nets into these regions and to try and help the prevention of malaria in these areas. And so they would hand out these mosquito nets to mothers with children. And um, they managed to get quite a few tons of mosquito nets delivered. And that's many thousands of mosquito nets. If you know what a mosquito net weighs, not much. But you know, when I looked at the list of equipment that they took, it was several pages long. Because they were going to travel through desert, they were going to travel um, along shorelines, they would have to get through tides at the right time, because they were literally going to stick to the rim of Africa. And so they took a whole three Land Rovers with support vehicles every now and then when they needed it of equipment with. Very different adventure that these disciples are sent out on. When Jesus sends out these 72, they sent out on a mission as well. No, not to deliver mosquito nets, but to prevent spiritual death by bringing a life-giving message. But the expedition remains the same. They have to go out. And Jesus had told them to count the cost. Remember last week, we were reminded through the Lord that we are to count the cost of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And that message is given to them specifically before he sends them out on this mission. And so, verse 1 of chapter 10 starts with these two words, after this, Jesus then appointed. He had said to them, count the cost, and now I'm going to send you out. Are you ready? Who was sending, by the way? Look in your text. It says, the Lord... Now, it doesn't say Jesus there, it says the Lord very specifically. Why? You see, there's a reminder here who is sending. It's the Supreme Master sending out these 72. They go out with divine authority. He's the Lord sending them out. And I sometimes think these disciples must have forgotten who this was that they spent every day with. The Lord was the one who they were with. And so he sends them out. It's interesting that he sends out 70 others, says the text. Anonymous ones. It wasn't the original 12 now, it was 70 others that he was sending out. The 12 had already experienced the power of God. But now Jesus equips 70 others to go out. Where are, to, are they to go to, says the text? Well, they were to go into Judea. How do we know that? Well, they were going where Jesus was about to go. And where was Jesus about to go? He was travelling to Jerusalem because of what had to happen there. And so they are going into Judea. 
And so no, it was not just to the Jews like the previous mission had been when the twelve had gone out. They had gone out to the, to the Jews themselves. But they were going out to all people now. You see, if you, if you know anything about symbolism in the Bible, when Jesus was sending out the twelve, represent, they represented what? The twelve tribes being sent out. To the, sorry, they were being sent out. Twelve disciples to the twelve tribes of Israel. But now the Lord is sending out seventy or seventy-two, depending on which debate you hold on to. And that's going right back to Genesis chapter 10, where the nations are listed that came out of the ark um, as a result of Noah's generation. Jews and Gentiles are now being reached. How was they to go out? Very deliberately, the Lord sends them out how? Two by two, in pairs. Now, why? Well, for mutual support, for companionship, for protection. One can help the other. And, in the Jewish mind, for double witness. You see, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 6, nothing happens here just for the sake of happening. There's always a purpose in Scripture. The Lord sends them out two by two so that there's a double witness as to what to happen. It's not just a single person's word, but there's a backup witness to what would take place. And that would strengthen them for the task. And we see that precedent set later as well in the early church where Paul and Barnabas are sent out. Always two by two. Silas and Judas are listed as being sent out. Paul and Silas, Barnabas and Mark, and there are many others listed in the early church. And why were they to go out? What's their mission specifically? To go ahead of Jesus. And the literal translation here is to go before his face. To go before his face into Judea. In other words, they were going to go where Jesus was going to go, yes, but they were also going to go before his face. In other words, with his authority. With divine authority from the Lord. Much like John the Baptist's mission. He also went before the Lord. And so these 72 are commissioned for being sent out. And very interestingly, what's the method used here? And you don't often get methods in Scripture, but here's one. The Lord sends them out specifically in this way. And no, there weren't any Land Rovers this time. They couldn't go out and pack up the good old Landy TDI. No, they had to... He didn't send them to pack up, to pack up the uh, donkeys either. Now, Peter, John... Come here please. I want you to take this list down to the market, get your pack asses and pack up these donkeys with the following list of stuff. And then he lists them. No, he says, I want you to go specifically in the opposite way. How must you go? Firstly, he says, what? Pack nothing. Pray. Before you pack, pray. Pray. Verse 2, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray. You see, this is a spiritual journey they're about to set out. Even though they're going to go physically, they need prayer covering. And that's why Jesus reminded them of the cost of going out. And there's also an urgency here as they go out into the harvest field. He says, pray that the Lord would send the laborers into the field. 
beseech the Lord, in other words, strongly ask the Lord to send out these labourers. Who's about to go? Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the labourers themselves. And he's saying, you labourers, pray that the Lord would send out the labourers into the field. How does that work? You see, the Lord wants them to go themselves. He's saying, pray that the Lord will send the labourers out into the field. And who are the labourers? You, he's saying. But pray that the Lord sends you out. In other words, with divine protection again. It's a beautiful example here of the balance between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Yes, God sends out into the mission field. Yes, the Lord endows with the qualities necessary necessary to fulfill that mission, but He still wants them to pray and then to go. There's exertion from the human side, you see. By the way, the Lord sends labourers into the field. This is in brackets. The Lord sends labourers into the fields, not loafers into the fields. They're going to labour in His fields. And so there's no pew asking here. The Lord's not saying, you pray and He'll send out someone else. He's saying, you pray whether you must go as a labourer into the field. And take note here too, whose harvest is it? It's His harvest. It's not ours. It's We are sent out to do God's work in His way to win His people, the lost. And so those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not just the lost. They are His people who are lost. They are His harvest. And so what does He tell them in verse 3? Not just pray. Secondly, verse 3, watch out. He's saying go into. And then there's a double imperative here. It's not just go, but He says, Behold, or listen, I send you. So not just go, but listen, I send you as well. It's not just there for nothing. Why does he say that specifically? He says that because he knows that he's sending them, and he's sending them specifically on this mission. This is not just an unplanned for exercise. God, in in his supreme knowledge of all time, had this moment when he would send these 72 out into the mission field to prepare the way for the Messiah who was to come just ahead of them. And so he says to them, Behold, take note, I send you. That must have given them extreme confidence to go. And then he says something which cramped their style, I'm sure. He said this, Behold, I send you out as weak lambs amongst Strong wolves or vicious wolves is the term that's used. I send you out as lambs among the wolves. That would have got their attention. You're going out amongst your natural and your spiritual enemies, says Jesus. And yes, there are going to be difficulties. And yes, there's going to be impossibilities, quote, on this journey. And without me, says Jesus Christ, and the power that I give you and the equipping I give you, you will be lambs among wolves. Because the message you take, they will not want to hear. And some of you will be persecuted. And some of you, some of you will die for this message. But I send you out. I want you to go. You see, humanly, this was madness. And to some of these disciples, they must have heard this and thought, this is impossible. But they were being sent out by the God of the impossible. 
And so their mission became what? Possible. Because of who was sending them. And so they were not just to pray, they were not just to watch out and go, they were to also, and this is where we must take note in our comfortable Western world, they were also to travel light. He says to them, I want you, verse 4, to carry no money bag, no knapsack, and that was called a beggar's bag, by the way, a, a knapsack, because you used to, people used to give you all kinds and you used to kind of ask for stuff. He says, no, I don't want you to take that. No sandals, that doesn't mean they weren't wearing any, but no spare sandals. It's like putting a spare tyre on your Land Rover, right? Or five. It was saying, don't take spare sandals, I will provide for you. And greet no one on the road. So travel light. Be dependent on me, says Jesus. Don't greet anyone on the road. What, is he telling them to be unfriendly, wear black, black tie and don't speak to anyone? No. He was saying, be urgent about this message. You see, we've got to understand something about the Eastern way of doing things here. When two people in the typical Eastern mindset or Eastern world, when they met each other on the road, especially Arabs, right, it was a long drawn out affair. Now today, we would just say, hi, how's it going? Or, hey bro. But it wasn't quite like that. They would hold out the hand to each other and then just when you're about to grab the hand, they'd pull it back again and then they'd kiss their own hand and you would do the same. And then you'd grab each other and kiss the beard. They'd be in trouble with a lot of us. Alright? And then they would have a quick prayer to say, Lord, thank you that we could meet in this way. And then, that wasn't the end of it. If you were important, this was repeated quite a few times. They'd go through the whole process again, up to ten times. So this could take a while. And so Jesus says to them, when you meet people on the road, don't waste time. You're on urgent business You've got an urgent business, uh, um, an urgent message to take out into the world. Don't waste time. Don't be held up by unnecessary and idle chatter and sit down next to the road and start having a conversation. Jesus says, you've got a mission. Get on with it. Plow that straight furrow for me. So they have to travel up and be urgent. Then he says, verses 5 to 6, bring peace wherever you go. When you go into a house, say to that household, peace be to this house. Now, that's very interesting. You see, they weren't just to come into a house and say, peace be to this house. By their very going into that home, what were they doing? They were bringing peace into that house. Supernaturally. And if they were accepted, and if their message was accepted, then peace would rest on that home. But if that message was rejected, then they were to leave that home and the peace would go with them. Francis of Assisi said, Lord, let me be a channel of your peace. That's what we are to be. We are to be channels for God's peace. And supernaturally, God can do that through you and I when we go and visit homes, when we go and speak to people about the gospel message. Mission organizations have even recognized this. And when they go into a foreign setup, they will look for a man of peace or a woman of peace in a village. Someone who seems to be receptive. And then they will spend their time with that person 
And from there, the gospel message generally spreads out into that village. But when they can't find a man or a woman of peace in a specific place, then sometimes that mission organization will withdraw and start in another area. That's this principle, you see. And so bring peace when you're going to a home. Not just that, he says accept hospitality. Now in the Eastern mindset again, hospitality was a real big issue. You'd be invited in, a whole spread would be put before you, and you'd go through a whole procedure of eating. And you're saying here to them, accept the hospitality that is given to you. Now Paul further explains this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You can look that up in your own time. But suffice to say this morning, there's a time to receive hospitality and there's a time to give hospitality. You see, many times as Christians, we've kind of got this false humility about us. We'll go into a place and people will want to offer hospitality and what will we say? Oh, no, no, don't worry about me. We should accept the hospitality because they are blessed in giving. And sometimes when we get the opportunity to maybe have someone staying with us or going or through our home who's travelling around with a gospel message, it is then our turn to offer hospitality. And we must do that as well. You see, there's a double responsibility here. Accept and give hospitality. First Timothy 5.18 says, for the scripture says, and then he quotes Deuteronomy 25, a threshing ox you shall not muzzle. Worthy of his pay is the worker. And so here's my little message to you this morning, just on this specific aspect. If you have the opportunity to ever look after someone who is coming through your home and bringing the Word of God specifically there, look after them well. They're on the Lord's business. Give what you can. Give them a, a, a time that is hospitable in your home. And then he says something in verse 8. He says, so when you go into these homes, and you thought your mother was the only one who said this, but here it is in Scripture, so that's where your wise mother got it from. Eat what is set before you, including your vegetables. Are you listening, teenagers? Eat what is set before you. Now, we just read that and we kind of say, yeah, okay. But, you know, to Jews in Gentile territory, that was quite something. Because there were certain foods to Jews that were unclean. And so now they're going into Gentile territory, these 70, and suddenly a beautiful piece of pork is put before them. Now what? I cannot eat swine. What does Jesus say to them? Eat what is set before you. You see, there's a principle here. How can you call unclean what God has said is clean? And Peter came across this later on in church history when he was about to take the message out to the Gentiles and then he had this vision lying on that roof and it's described in Acts chapter 10 verse 9 to 16 where he saw a sheet coming down and in the sheet was a whole bunch of animals and they were all yuck, they were all unclean to a Jew. And he had real struggle with this. And then this message was given to him by a voice. What God has made clean, do not call unclean. And Peter realized through that, even though he still disobeyed, he realized through that, that God was sending him out to the Gentiles and he had to accept what he got there. How could he call Gentiles unclean as well? And so, 
The Lord says to these seventy, eat what is set before you. Don't go from one home to the other. If you don't like the veggies they're serving you up, don't go to the house next door and hope you're going to get steak. And if you do, you stay there. No, the first home you come to, stay there. Accept that hospitality. Why? Because you're on a mission from me. It's not about food. It's about the message. You're on a mission, says the Lord. And then he says, speak out your message, verse 9. What does he say in verse 9? He says, heal the sick in that home and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, yes, we were in a special dispensation when many, many, many people were healed as a miraculous sign to establish God's kingdom and to show the power of God's kingdom at work. Yes. But doesn't God heal today? Of course He heals today. Does He heal every time? No, He doesn't. Those were special times too. But the Lord says, when you go, then pray for the sick and heal. Whose is the healing? It's the Lord's. If the Lord wants to heal, He will heal. And then you are to heal. But, and this is the important part, there's always to be the message that goes with the healing. And what is the message? The healing is about the extension of the kingdom. The showing of His power. What is that message to be? Verse 9. The kingdom of God has come near to you. What does that mean? Well, by their very coming into the home with the saving message of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God had come into their very home. And all they had to do was accept it or reject it. That's how near the kingdom was. And so they had to heal and bring the message. And then the Lord says, don't worry about their response. You take the message, but don't waste time in a village that won't hear. And we need to take note of this, you see. When we go out on mission work, sometimes we waste too much time. When we tell the gospel to people and they don't hear, sometimes we waste too much time by going back and back and back and back and it's casting pearls before swine. They're not hearing. Their hearts are hard. Their hearts are hard. The Lord says, don't waste time to His disciples. Take the message. Their responsibility is to hear. Yours is to give that message. And He puts it this way. He says, enter a town. And if you're not welcomed, then publicly, and I would have liked to see this in a Jewish community, this would have made some impact. Here these men come storming out of the house. He says, you publicly go and you publicly say, I wipe the dust off my feet from this village because you will not hear. And then walk out the village. Talk about drama. This would have worked really well. Imagine the impact in these little villages as these disciples come through. You see, everyone understood what that was about. When someone said that in the Jewish context, it was showing a divine displeasure resting on any home or town where that message was brought. A message of rejection. You see, to the Jewish ear, to hear this message was a message of the time of the Messiah is here. And by you rejecting it, this is serious. And that's why the disciples were to publicly make the statement and then leave the village. It was a very visual reminder of the urgency 
of this mission. You see, this kingdom could not be stopped. They had to move on. They had a message and they had to move on to the next village and bring the message. Why? Because shortly behind them, on the hills, was the Messiah and He was coming Himself on His way to die for all mankind. How can we waste time? There's work to be done, says the Lord. It's your responsibility, He says to these disciples. You go, you bring that message and there your responsibility is done. It's the hearer's responsibility to now act, to either accept or reject this message. And the consequences, whose are they? The consequences of hearing or rejecting belong to who? The Lord. The Lord. And he spells out some of those consequences. In verse 13, Jesus decrees judgment against these cities. And he says, he compares them to Sodom and Gomorrah. And who knows what happens at Sodom and Gomorrah back in Genesis chapter 19. These are two cities who rejected God's messengers. And what happened to them? Fire and sulfur fell down and consumed both these cities. And so Jesus mentions three cities or three towns and He brings out a specific message of judgment on these cities. And if I was in one of those, I would have packed my bags and got out. What does Jesus say? He mentions three, three towns. Chorazin, Bethsaida and Capernaum. Now, what were these towns? These were towns where Jesus had had His ministry. Especially Capernaum. Jesus had spent most of His time in Capernaum. He had preached His message there. He had healed the sick. He had raised the dead. He had seen so many people affected by the kingdom. And yet the general population would not listen. And so Jesus brings down this judgment on them. He says to them, You Chorazin and you Bethsaida, if the mighty works that had been done in you had happened in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Now who are these other two towns, Tyre and Sidon? Well you see these two were Phoenician, they were pagan towns. Way back in the Old Testament. And you can read about this in Isaiah and in Amos. These were towns that had gone against God's people. Pagan, Phoenician towns, filled with proud, money-mad, cruel, commercial seafarers and colonizers. They weren't known for their kindness. They weren't known for their gentleness. And they had gone against God's people. And they were punished way back in the Old Testament for standing against God's people. And God is saying here, Jesus is saying here, you Chorazin, you Bethsaida, if you had heard, if, if these two pagan cities had seen what I've shown you, they would have sat in sackcloth and ash. They would have been completely humble before me. But you haven't. You've stuck your proud necks out and you've rejected the Messiah. And then he singles out Capernaum. And he says, by the way, Capernaum, now Capernaum saw themselves as a little bit above the rest. Many of the religious leaders were stationed in Capernaum too. And who were Jesus' main opponents in his ministry on this earth? They were these religious leaders. And so he says, Capernaum, just because I spent my time there among you most of the time, doesn't mean you've got a special blessing. Did you expect to be specially blessed? The question he asked. And he says, no, no, no. You will be thrust down into Hades. That's not just falling into hell. I'm going to push you into hell. 
Do you see the difference? Why? Because of their rejection of the Messiah. Because of their rejection, even when they had seen all these signs and miracles, they still turned their backs against the Messiah, God's own anointed one. And he says, you will be thrust to the depths of Hades. He uses typically Isaiah-like language of judgment here. And they would have understood perfectly well what he was saying. And then Jesus summarizes in verse 16 this whole message. And we must pay attention here because the same message applies to you and I. If we take out the gospel message at all, the same message applies. This is what he says to them in verse 16. When you speak, I speak. When the people listen to you, they listen to me. And by rejecting you, they reject not just me, but the one who sent me. Who sent Jesus? The Father. Do you see the serious consequences here of rejecting this Messiah? Do you see the serious consequences here that these disciples would have taken out with them the message and if people didn't listen to them, then they were rejecting the Messiah already, even before he'd got to them. Severe warning here. Well, that's the disciples. That was 2,000 plus years ago. Interesting. How does that apply to you and I? We've got to get to this point, you see. Otherwise, why is this passage in Scripture? How does this apply to you and I? How is our mission made possible in 2014? Have we got a mission? What is our mission? I want you to turn around and look at that back wall. There's our mission. And I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation because I think it really spells it out beautifully. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. If you're a believer here today, this is your message. There is no exclusion clause. Every single one has this mission. And if you are on this mission, then praise be to the Lord. And if you are not listening yet, God needs to do work in you. But you cannot escape what He's given you to do. Here is your mandate, you and I. And I want you to read this together with me because it's my mandate as well as yours. Let's read together from um, the screen over here. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There are your marching orders. There are my marching orders. But when we look around us and we see the wolves and the waves, we get scared, don't we? And we think, how am I going to do this? I can't even speak properly in public. How am I going to tell anyone about the message of Jesus Christ? How am I going to do that? This is impossible. Well, Jesus gives us nuts and bolts. And yes, it was to the disciples, but there are certain principles we can pull out here for us this morning. And you've seen them before. This is revision. The first one is what? Go. He's given us a mandate. Now we are to go. And for each of us, that's going to look different. 
For some of us it might mean setting up a coffee shop. For some of us it might mean getting together in a playgroup with other mothers. For some of us it might mean getting your Bible, getting training and going into the ministry. For some of you it might mean getting on a plane, sitting in Australia and being a missionary. But for all of us, have this mission. It's to go. No one is asked to remain in the pews and just to pray for everyone. We've all got a mission. Jesus says, go. The Lord sends us. It's His authority. And now it's not just the 72 now. You see, Jesus has gone wider. Now it's everyone who must go. Every single one who He has saved, all believers are now to go. And to who are we to go? To Wanganui. Yes. To Wanganui East. Yes. To the whole world. Yes. We are to go. And now you say, God, that's impossible. Well, the Lord says, here's the plan. Get together with someone else and pray about the way that God is going to use us. You see, it's always better in twos. It's always better when there's someone else to pick up your arms when you are tired. But that's what discipleship is all about, isn't it? It's getting alongside someone else and walking the Christian walk together and holding each other up. And one of you is going to get tired some other stage, but walk the walk together in pairs. There's no lone wolf Christianity spelt out for us here. And there are some of us, I know, who are lone wolves by nature, but when it comes to God's work, there's no lone wolf Christian. We are there to serve with each other. Classic example, we appoint an elder this morning, and with him, his wife, who is to serve with him. And you might have something the Lord's put on your heart that He wants you to do for Him. Well, here's an idea from Scripture. Get along with someone else and ask them to pray with you and then to explore that idea and maybe even to start that with you. Pray, Lord, please send. Are you listening? Not another name. Lord, please send me and who? Lord, please send me and who into the harvest fields that are ripe for harvest. What does James promise us? James chapter 5 verse 16, The earnest prayer of a righteous man has great power and produces wonderful results. We've seen that. We've prayed. We've seen wonderful results happening. I think of Ethiopia. I think of the results we've seen there. We send out a couple there. Nothing happens for how many years? They come out of the mission field. God blesses with the next missionary. And now, 246 churches. 3,000 each. Is that not the Lord working in a great way? He's answered our prayers of 70-something years in this church. And the work is being done. But we need to pray. We need to pray and then go. And then watch out. How do we watch out? You see, your own life speaks about what Jesus has done. So you need to watch your life. You need to have your testimony ready. When someone asks you, why do you believe what you believe, can you speak that out verbally? Can you? Can you give a reason for the faith that is within you? Because you're going out among wolves and the wolves will want to tear you down. And you've got to know what you believe. And you've got to know in who you trust. But watch out. And then, travel light. Depend on the Lord. And whether you stay in Wanganui, you don't have to buy a Land Rover to go out. 
I tried that one. Tried to justify that with my wife, but she said it's not working for her. You don't have to buy a Land Rover to go on the Lord's mission. You can do it from a wheelchair. You can do it from a walking frame. You can serve the Lord in size 8 sneakers. You don't need fancy equipment. You only need to obey and open your mouth and your life. And Lord will use you. But travel light. Depend on the Lord. You see, it's not about you. It's about the Lord using you. It's about you being a channel for the Lord to use. Lord, use me among these people. And have an urgency in your mission. Be urgent about it. Don't start wandering around getting sidetracked in all kinds of other things. You are a Christian on this earth for a very limited time. Use all your time. Use all your energy for the Lord's business. And yes, there are other there are great other causes out there in the world. All kinds of things. But does the Lord need you there? He wants you to take His message. What are you getting sidetracked by? Can you serve the Lord more effectively? Travel lights. Bring peace. Be channels of His peace. Listen, that doesn't mean Bible bash people. When you are a channel of the peace, you go into a home and you live out the love of Jesus Christ. And when the opportunity arises, then give an answer. And speak out that word, of that message. The gospel is what they need. They don't need to know about all the rest. People who do not know the Lord need what? They need the gospel message to be saved. What is the gospel message? That all men are lost without the Lord Jesus Christ. That they cannot reach God without coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. That they need to ask Him to take away their sin and they are to be dependent on Him alone to do this. That His blood will cover all their sin and that only through Jesus Christ can they find eternal life. That's the gospel message. That's all they need. They don't need to know all the other things that we know when you've read Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. They don't need all that. They need the gospel message. So don't Bible bash with rules. They need the gospel message when you go out. Accept hospitality. Now, it's already in Scripture, but I was going to add it anyway. When you go into a home, it's not always like your nice home. Sometimes you will go into homes, and I've been into homes in this town where they haven't got much. Accept the hospitality. And yet that cup might not be as clean as what you would have made it. Just the Lord will bless it. Whatever goes into you. Drink. Accept hospitality. It's not always going to be up to your standards. You know, when Don and I were in Ethiopia, this was really brought home to me the day they brought us raw mince. And it was 35, 40 degrees Celsius. It was stinking hot. There were flies all over the place. And I knew this was going to be difficult. Because it was a speciality. They put it in front of us. We were the guests of honour. They didn't have much, but what they had, they ground up that poor goat into this raw goat mince and there we were. And asked Don what that was like, that first mouthful. But we had to accept hospitality. Here is the principle. We were going out and we had to be there. So it's no use and a lot of uh, missionaries, have, this is where they come short. And I saw this when I was in Malawi many years ago. The white western missionaries would come into Malawi and with them would come containers of stuff. Most of it sugar cubes. And all the luxuries. And they would set up this big house on the hill 
and they would now start their mission into the area around them. Well, no one listened. Because this wasn't their reality. You need to become part of the reality of the people that you are going to with that message. You are to accept hospitality for the Lord's sake because you are on a military mission for Him. There is no place for softies in this mission for the Lord. We accept what, we, what gets put in front of us and we do it for the Lord. And to put it in colloquial, when you go into these homes, just suck it up for the Lord's sake. Suck it up for the Lord's sake and He will bless the work that you do among these people. And then speak out. Speak out that healing message. Speak out the gospel message. And if the Lord blesses you that you can be the channel of healing to someone, remember, there is never healing without the message. You always give that gospel message. And then second last one is this one. Don't waste time. The time is short. One eye on the sky. The Lord is coming. We need to be out there with the message. Their response is their responsibility. You take the message and leave it with them. And if they don't respond, walk away. There will be someone else that the Lord will direct you to. Your responsibility is the message. Theirs is to hear and to obey. And then be warned. And I want you to listen to this one. This is one of the most important ones here. Because Jesus put so much emphasis on it. Be warned. Accept God's message. Accept what He gives you to do. Your mission. And if you reject God's mission, there will be consequences for you as a believer too. And if you're hearing that message for the first time as someone who does not yet believe and you reject the message of the gospel, there are consequences waiting for you too. Be warned this morning. You see, our mission sounds impossible. But our Lord who sends us is the God of the impossible. And therefore, if you can do maths, our mission is possible. We can't go without the Lord sending us. We can't go without the Spirit giving us the power and the ability to take out His message. We can't. But we need to go. And He will do the rest. What is the challenge the Lord is putting on your heart? What area would He have you serve here in this town where He specifically put you? Are you obedient to that prompting on your heart? Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, as You sent out the 70, You send us out as well today. Lord, your word, the specific scripture has come to us this morning. And it has its purpose. And that purpose will not return to you void, but will bring about the desired result that you want. And that is souls one for eternity. And so Lord, I pray that you would help every single one of us to be willing to go. And whether you ask us to stay here in town and just speak to our neighbour or our friends, Lord, whether you send us to the Congo to serve on a ship somewhere off the African continent, Lord, may we go with the power 
and with the empowerment that you will give. But may we go. May we be obedient, Lord. And may we experience the blessing that comes for those who are obedient and see you at work as you save the lost. Lord, we can't do it. We can't save anyone, but we can take that message. Lord, help us to take that message into the world and to be obedient to you first. And Lord, I pray for any here that have heard the gospel message once again coming out this morning. I pray that you will save lost souls and that they will come and plead before you to forgive them and to give them life which can only be found in you, Lord Jesus Christ. Do your work through your Spirit, I pray this morning. Amen.